Hey everyone, it's Colin, your main host from The Legend of Portalcast. Uh, I'm just doing this uh, pretty late night recording. I'm about to travel the next day, so um, I wanted to do this quick intro to tell you about this series that we're going to be doing for this episode. Uh, it's called The Dutch Chicken Watches The Legend of Korra. Um, one of our co-hosts, Kyle, who is fondly known to us as The Dutch Chicken, told us when we first did the reunion episode that he had never seen the Legend of Korra. So we decided we wanted to do this series where he watched it with fresh new eyes and we got to revisit it. Um, but it was a really interesting experience because we can't talk about any of the future spoilers or anything. We have to kind of live within the discussion of this episode. And we had a lot of fun doing it and really hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much. for episode four of The Legend of Portalcast. Uh, we've got a really, really exciting episode today because a while back we realized during our initial discussion that Kip had not seen Legend of Can Korra. Can go yet? Can go yet? <laughs> <laughs> and it, we were like, okay, we should definitely do some discussion, uh, have Kip watch this, and then we're going to talk about Korra all together again. Um, so uh, first I'm going to just do a quick introduction of all the co-hosts today. Um, again, I'm Colin, and uh, with me today we first have, of course, Kip. Yeah. Let's go! Let's go! <laughs> then, we have, Hi, guys. Uh, <laughs> then we have Kevin. Yo-ho-ho, mateys. <laughs> Keeping our theme of pirates from last episode. Um <laughs> and then uh, next we have Kate. <laughs> next we have Casey. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and uh, joining us for the first time on this episode uh, is actually my wife Abigail. Hello. Um, so uh, just because everyone kind of had a fair shot uh, when they first came on, can you tell us how you first got exposed to Avatar? Um, well, I met this crazy guy in college named Colin who really loved Avatar. <laughs> And uh, one time I was just bored and saw it on Netflix, and so I proceeded to binge through the entire series in about one sitting. Uh, and then uh, when Cora came out, um, I watched it as it was coming out. So yeah, and I fell in love with it, and then proceeded to fall in love with you. You. Oh. <laughs> so. Uh, now we're gonna we're gonna get right into this because as I'm sure you have heard, uh, like Kip's just kind of frantic, like you know, uh, palpitations in the background here. We're gonna let him go ahead and get started. <laughs> Kip, give us the lowdown. What was your experience like watching these episodes for the first time? Oh my god! <laughs> 
so it, it, it starts out at the intro where you see all the Predators come by and then suddenly there you have Aang, adult Aang. It's like, wow. Um, I think three minutes in, you start getting, uh, you, you get uh, three minutes in, you, you get your first idea of why Mike and Brian are so, so great. They listen to the community. They listen to the fact that everybody's asking about Suko's mom. And so what they, they do, they have one of the characters asking, what happened to Suko's mom? <laughs> I, 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 was total, I was totally blown back by that because everybody for years on end kept asking, what happened to Suko's mom? And so not even two minutes into the show, they acknowledge the entire Avatar community by referencing that, by having one of the characters ask. The, the animation is phenomenal. The, yeah, the animation is, is great. It's better than uh, The Last Airbender. The feels of the show are amazing. Like there's, there's two or three points where I was, I was just sitting back in my chair. I was like, wow, this is really cool. This is try not to cry, roll over, cry anyways kind of material, right? I'm so so I don't even know where to start right now. <laughs> That's a proper reaction, I think. <laughs> I, I, I think I think we're just gonna have to go by we're just gonna have to go into the discussion and just you'll hear me schooling in the background when we bring up something cool, I suppose. Just... <laughs> it's it's amazing. Um, they they did a wonderful job at capturing the spirit of Avatar, I think. Mm. Um, especially in episode two, um, you, you, you pretty much straight away you're thrown into the struggles of Korra trying to master air bending, which is obviously opposite to a water bending. And, and like they mentioned in the episode as well, it's, it's with uh, Ang trying to learn air bending and him getting frustrated. It's so familiar. It's and then like Tenzin says, it just at one point it just comes to you and that that happens during the, the pro banning tournament it's I, I think it really captures avatar mm. i think that's really the essence of avatar that you see in the first two episodes that was so awesome to hear <laughs> it's <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here I'm, I'm just trying to think of you know these specific moments but i'm also trying to think about because I, I know that you have a whole schedule wanting to talk about uh, you, you have the whole thing that you want to get into the episode discussion and I'm like, I'm trying to think of things to say but I'm just so blown back by it, it's so amazing wow guys Yeah. this, this, is, this is good this is, this is like season 3 all over again like <laughs> sitting in front of the TV just cooling because finally season 3 has dropped and this is it all over again Yeah. this is it <laughs> So, I don't know why I've never watched it. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> That's so funny because that was my reaction just now, and I've seen it before, and it's just been like you know several like months since I had like seen it, and it still was like 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 your description is just exactly how I feel. I'm like I don't have words right now. This is amazing. Like my eyes are glued, and I'm like about to fall off my chair. <laughs> it's amazing. So what what about for the rest of you guys? Before we get into episode discussion, I want to hear. If you can remember it when you first watched Korra and kind of the experience of seeing that, uh, especially after watching uh, through the entirety of Avatar. Uh, they they did it. They did completely 
Like, you know, you know, Mike and Brian have a certain level that they, and they always deliver. So it's sort of like when you have that expectation, whether you realize it or not of what they're going to do, and then they still exceed it. It's like, even just the intro was like mind blowing when you just, and then getting right into the, they, they, they completely blended the, the feel artistically just in, in terms of animation with the world with some CG stuff that was just, it didn't even look awkward. It was just just like the world itself had technologically improved and had had evolved and had like moved forward, so had the actual like yes. visual too. And it felt so visceral and so real. And and that's where it was just like, oh, they they did it and then some again. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, what about you? Yeah, uh, it's so cool going back to it because like now now that you have the air, you know, the first show under your belt, it's Mike and Brian can just be like, all right, let's uh, let's just get going right off the bat. And it's so cool to see the changes because like, you know, it's still going to have some of the old avatar um, aspects of it, but it's a whole new adventure. And it's just like one of those because no one like we had all seen the show before. We had watched it over and over again. And now all of a sudden, here's something we don't know what's going to happen. For the first time in years, <laughs> we get to watch an Avatar show, this gorgeous show with awesome music as usual. Just it, it's incredible. I'm just so happy that they got a chance to do exactly what we all wanted, which is to see another Avatar show. Mm-hmm. And without spoiling it too much, I think the first season had what I consider to be one of the my favorite villains of all time. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll 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 definitely get into that. <laughs> Abigail, what about you? Uh, you know, I didn't watch the original Avatar series as it was coming out, so I didn't watch it too long before Korra came out, so at that point I was like, great, more Avatar to consume, (laughs) but I couldn't consume it quite as quickly this time, but no, I I found it, uh, like I just did, uh, very energizing the first few episodes, and, and it is such a new, fresh take on the world but still keeping with so many of the themes and traditions of the original series that they perfectly moved it forward. And that moment when Katara says to Korra, like, it's time for a new generation to, you know, create balance and and do your own thing. It was such a beautiful moment. I was like, okay, that's what this series is going to be about. Mm. Mm. That was one of the moments where I just tried not to cry, and I <laughs> where Katawa, where Katawa just suddenly popped up. It's like, it's okay, you can go. I believe in you. It's like, ah, oh. uh, yeah, it's, it's too much. It, it, yeah, and, and I, I know. Gosh, I mean, like, and for me, when Cora came out, there was just. There was so much hype that we had around it too, because there was that roller coaster of covering the season, our book three of Avatar, and then that the horrid, horrid times of the movie, and like <laughs> how much optimism was there, and then how much of a letdown it was. And what movie? <laughs> yeah, there, no, there, there is no movie in Bossing. I'm so grateful I avoided all of that because <laughs> I started watching after all that had happened, so I didn't get the. The horrible disappointment of the movie. Oh, gosh. But, you know, and then as the movie came, uh, you know, as the movie ended, and then we heard about this new series, and I just remembered that first image that they released, and it was like Korra with her back to the camera with Republic City off in the distance. And 
this just image of a developed future, a new avatar in so much that we had no idea what was going to happen. And when that all came to a head, I just remember like the trailer when that came out, all of us freaking out about it and then actually seeing it released and how much great nostalgia there is, but still so much new, exciting, fresh material. Oh, it's just, it just, it really is such an energizing beginning to the show. So with that, let's go ahead and get right into this discussion talking about, uh, Welcome to Republic City, the first episode of Legend of Korra, and how this all starts off. I want to take just a, a second here to talk about that intro, because I think it really is, we all kind of touched on it, that it really is this just amazing thread to connect Last Airbender to Legend of Korra, and how they do that with the animation. So I just want to hear first your guys like kind of more expanded thoughts on that part. Well, again, I, I really, what I really like what they did at the intro this time uh, is that they, first of all, what they, when they showed the different bending that they did it in order uh, and, and each one was an avatar. I think with the original intro, correct me if I'm wrong, they all necessarily weren't avatars. Um, I think it was just people that could airbend or firebend. And they started with Kiyoshi, then Roku, then Aang, and then showed Korra. I thought that was really cool. Mm. Um, and then proceeding into he over again, we've never haven't met Tenzin yet. Hearing this beautiful voice of J.K. Simmons because oh, he's got gorgeous. a voice, mm -hmm. just just just, and that showing that that awesome artwork of of the of the all the original characters and just him explaining what they did and then and then panning to the and then cue the music this the orchestral again the music that kevin already mentioned this like just they stepped it up a notch like just to, just from that standpoint and then like panning to the city and showing ang's statue i mean it's showing you a whole world that they created and right like i said right away it makes it like you're in it and it's real this happened this feels like it happened mm. it's like it's very just spiritual and physical at the same time mm. it's so cool like you're saying just uh it it really immerses you more into the avatar world like right on, again like going you know just they go from zero to 60 like even the intro they're like all right here's some gorgeous border you know uh bending and yeah jk simmons i can listen to him read the dictionary <laughs> like he is every time i see a state farm commercial i'm like ah uh, tenzin <laughs> 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 yeah, but I just love that you know, you know, I'm coming from the point of view of people that were um, you know had been waiting years to see this show again. So when the intro hits, it it just gives you the chills. Even now, like coming back to it after a long time, just the chills you get are incredible because you know you're you're about to get into a whole new adventure and you just can't wait. Absolutely, and there's that just that connection to the past too of how. And how much that the past itself, it, how that plays a role in Legend of Korra, and the fact that exactly like yeah, they connect it to the yeah what's happened. But this, they're not going to be like, well, we're not just going to give you a fan service TV mm -hmm. show. We're going to give you all like uh, everything that you know and love of Avatar, but in a whole different light. So I'm I'm going to go ahead and agree with what was said that they they go from zero to sixty. Um, basically straight from the side. They they don't wait around to introduce you to characters. They don't wait around to introduce you to the world or to the storyline like they, they, they've kind of done in 
the, the last airbender where the build-up was somewhat slow in the first two episodes and there was there was somewhat a lot of fluff i would suppose um there's no fluff here in the first two episodes of legend of Korra. everything just goes boom here it is and not only do they go to zero to 60 not only do they go let's do this let's show them how good we are but they set the bar so extremely high for themselves in those first two episodes. It's like just so much happening. The animation is so amazing. Like, uh, like Casey mentioned earlier, the, the 3D animation, the computer animation that was done, um, you really saw that when uh, they did the, the first airbending thing where they had to go to those rotating screens. That's where you could clearly see there was computer animation but it looked so pretty it, it looked it, it fit in so great i'm i'm very excited to see what they're going to be showing at me and i i'm, I'm kind of anxious about it because they set the bar so extremely high it's like are they gonna are they gonna be able to keep that up is it going to get better? Can I ha- can I handle it being better than this? You know, it's I can't. Oh, they man. they they drop so much at you. Um, it's just the right amount. Yeah. You know that there's the whole thing about Korra being intended for a more adult audience, and. Um, that clearly shows the the jokes are a bit more crude. The, they 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 start name dropping or they they start calling each other names. Um, and and there was at one point when Tenzin comes in with the kids. Um, as a dad, I was so much able to relate to that moment when they got off. He got off uh, his <laughs> air bison. <laughs> it was like help me. It's like please help me. <laughs> It's falling on my head. <laughs> I, I, I lost it. I lost it. And then and then later on in the episode they're they're meditating. It's like I recognize that so much with the kids when I need them to be quiet and just sit silent for a minute. And then you have just one just bouncing up and that like, I'm quiet. Look at me, I'm talking very quietly. Like, no, it's really not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so relatable. It's it's very nice to see that they 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 said it would be for a more mature audience, and they pulled it off so well. Mm. And I I think that's a great point. And then on top of that, they still do what they did so successfully in the last Airbender, in making it so accessible. Is that if you're a parent, you can identify immediately with that. If you're a young kid, you can identify with Janora, Iki, or, well, I don't know, Milo, maybe. Like, kids who are that young aren't really <laughs> comprehending the show. <laughs> I haven't helped those parents. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's like you still get to connect with, like, all these different ages. Um, and, I mean, they just deliver that, oh my gosh, even more as the series continues. Um, but... I want to get next into the whole uh, White Lotus compound that's in the South Pole, this kind of training ground that Korra is being groomed in, and the idea of Aang's legacy telling the White Lotus to look after her and make sure that she can learn in a safe way 
and be protected from the outside world. And how different that is, especially for Aang's experience of being like a young kid, finding out and having all of these pressures when he's, you know, 12 years old, I mean, even younger, having that responsibility thrown on him. So your feelings and everything about this idea of the White Lotus taking a more direct approach in grooming the Avatar and training her and also keeping her confined. Uh, I don't know that they Aang necessarily, you know, is like keep her confined. I think that may be some liberty they took once they figured out that Korra was not going to want to stay in one place. That they were like, okay, you got to stay here. Uh, but, you know, for Aang, it was so dangerous for him. I mean, he had to try to find a firebending master while he was being hunted by the Fire Nation. Mm-hmm. And you know, had to constantly learn on the fly and steal a waterbending scroll from pirates and, you know, like, (laughs) just to learn anything. So I think he wanted to set this up as a legacy for the next Avatar, uh, a training spot where, you know, he or she wouldn't have to fight to learn, you know, that they could be supported and safe. Hmm. I was a little bit confused. I think, about the whole White Lotus thing. I think confused is the right word. So first of all, I, at, at first I, I thought they were just at the South Pole. You know, it was just the South Pole. Katara grew up there, so it makes sense that like Katara's there and that Korra's there, and, and, you know, that just makes sense. But then you got the whole idea of, you know, that they're keeping her there. It's, it's it, Like she said, it's almost like a prison. Um, but it actually also somewhat makes sense that it's an idea from Aang. Um, Aang grew up like that in the Air Temple. They, they kept him. He had to. He, he was forced into becoming a, a armor. He wasn't that good of an airbender. He wasn't that good of a student. But they, they kind of forced him to keep training. That's why he ran off and all that. So it makes sense that after Aang grew up, he realized his mistakes. He realized what he did wrong. He, he realized how much harder he made it for himself to become the avatar to master the four elements so it it makes sense that from his wisdom it makes sense that he would say well actually my masters were right they were right to keep my isolated so i can practice and concentrate on learning the four elements Hmm. yeah it, it makes sense that it could have been a legacy from ang to keep her isolated away from the world so that she could prepare for the danger so that she had time to master the elements and she would be able to concentrate without having to deal with everything going on around her. So how did you guys feel in terms of her reaction and how Korra really, uh, obviously we have a completely different avatar than what we had in the, in the original series and how she reacts to that kind of confinement because that's clearly how she sees it. Whether you know or not Aang's intentions were cut and dry, keep her locked away so she can't see the outside world. I mean, we can, I think, debate that. But the idea is we see it from her perspective that she feels trapped. And that moment when she goes out on Naga and is just ushering her to just go. And there's that moment of freedom, but it's preceded by this beautiful landscape shot of the South Pole, 
but in the foreground, standing on the cliffs, are two White Lotus members surveying so that even though it's this wide open space, it's still under surveillance. It's still not wide open and free, and we're dealing with such a free spirit in Korra. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of saw it. Well, there's two things I see from it. One is, uh, I mean, look at what, you know, like we're saying, what Aang had to deal with. Aang, I think his greatest remorse probably was that he was gone for 100 years, that all these terrible things happened because um, the Avatar wasn't, and he wasn't prepared when he came out. So there was no avatar. There was no training. Like he didn't want his mistakes to be repeated. He wanted to make sure the next avatar was found. The next avatar was trained. The next avatar was safe um, to make sure that they can help everyone. And I also like how Bright did this with Cora is Cora is a teenager. You know, teenagers feel confined by their parents, even though the parents, you know, wanted do right by them, which I guess is kind of an analogy for the White Lotus. The White Lotus are essentially her parents. They want to do right for her. They want to make sure everything, you know, I guess goes the plan in a way. <laughs> yeah, that's how I really take it, too. That's a really good, that's a really good um, analogy mm-hmm. and, and description of that, just because, again, like, um, you know, Aang, as when he, when he, when he matures and there's that, there's like, there's a, I know there's that space from when book three ends and the core begins, there's all those comics in between, which I haven't read all of them and I want to, um, there, there's so much when we leave off, you know, even with Aang with, with book three in the finale and it's uh, essentially a happy ending. There's, there's a lot more stuff to deal with to rebuild the world. And uh, again, all the more reason for them to make sure that, that the next avatar after he, you know, passes that, that, you know, she's, he or she's protected and ready to to start training where it's supposed to. And the White Lotus is really it makes sense that the White Lotus would be the the organization or a group of people to actually like look after her anyway, because look how it's it, look how they were in the first um, series, too. It was like they were like a more more a secret society, but like of different types of vendors that were there for the, the good of everybody and to make sure, you know, everything was um, uh, peaceful and safe. And I think that was sort of like. And it's really interesting that we just did the episode where we just did the episode we did of the podcast where we talked about like the theories about the White Lotus and everything, <laughs> and then uh, talking about this. But um, yeah, I'm 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 just I'm just agreeing with what you guys said. I think that's a really I think that's just a good um, perspective on it for sure. Hey everyone, uh, it's Colin, the main host. Just wanted to take this quick break in the middle here to remind you of how to get in touch with us. Uh, you can, of course, email us at legendofportalcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at portalcastpod, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, um, it would mean the world to us if you considered subscribing and leaving a review and a rating. Uh, basically, the way that iTunes works is that the more reviews and ratings there are, the better chance that people can find it based on their interests. And uh, we don't do any paid advertising or anything. We just rely completely on word of mouth. So any recommendations or reviews, we really, really genuinely appreciate. Um, and again, to all the listeners uh, and all the feedback that we've gotten, thank you guys so much. Um your feedback and your responses have been uplifting for us because it knows that folks are listening and that we should keep doing this. Uh, but without any further ado, get back to the show. Thanks, guys.
So with that, I want to get into, uh, talk a little bit about Republic City and just the overall image of it and the idea of this new beautiful place that is this product of Aang and Zuko working together. Um, and just a little bit of context too, um, and because I don't know if whether listeners or if you guys have read uh, the first book in the comic series that they did, I think there is some good context to have with that. Um, in that one, The Promise, it talks a lot about what happens with these Fire Nation colonies. That when the war is over, you have this whole area where these people, over the course of 100 years, they viewed themselves as Fire Nation citizens. And then suddenly, the war is over, the Fire Nation has been defeated, the Earth Kingdom wants the, the like this land back. But they want the land back from people who identify as Fire Nation. And it becomes this conflict of what they're going to do with that and kind of how everything settles in the end and what that leads to eventually is this United Republic of Nations and where Republic City is the hub for all of that. So that's kind of the idea of like what happened in the span um, between uh, Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. But here is a city that is by and far so much more technologically advanced than anything we had ever seen in any of the previous cities in Avatar. And now we're seeing all of those technological advancements create this utopia that is, we have zeppelins flying in the air. You have these beautiful bridges. You have skyscrapers. You have a homeless man living in a bush. <laughs> Which oh, is... <laughs> like Central Park. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, But, but everything that comes with a city, including is, people is, who live in bushes. Like, is is, is <laughs> the Fagabond going to be like the new Cabbage Man? Because he, he really had a Cabbage Man like five to it. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. Don't, don't answer that. I, I definitely... I want to I wanna get your guys' feel on that because, obviously, I, I think that's a great point, Abigail, because you have this beautiful just visage of Republic City, but they waste no time that once she gets there, it's like, no, it's not all just like beautiful. You it's have like- You to pay for your food here. Yeah, you have to pay for your food here. There are people being oppressed by gangs. And it's like, there's a lot that's wrong as well as what has become right. So yeah, I, I wanna just throw it to you guys some of your thoughts. That's definitely a good place to start with that because I, I, I I'm just watching it again um, and being they show you Republic City it looks glorious just like any you see a skyline of any city it looks amazing and then you get in there and it's still amazing um, but I like how Mike and Brian they didn't just kind of you know pass over the the intricacies of what that means um, there are there's a push and pull with everything um, the the good and the not so good. Um, and the fact that Cora is so perfect in this situation, she is so, um, uh, pure <laughs> and innocent and has no idea. And that's the, uh, that's, that's the perfect perspective to have. Cause then you're just, you're just, you're, you're, um, you're not biased in any way, um, about where, about what's going on in the city. You're just there and you're experiencing what's happening 
And it's like, and to give the viewers that is great because they're not trying to sway you really one way or the other. They're showing you this is what's going on. These are the kinds of people, oh, this this couple runs this shop and they have these awesome, you know, um, uh, trinkets they're selling. They're kind of, you know, they kind of almost have a New York attitude where they're like, they'll talk to you in the city, but they're not going to be like, yeah, just in that direction, whatever. They're not going to be overly friendly. And then, then they're, they're proceeded to be approached by and attacked by a gang. And it's like, it's just, there's so many elements that just again that make it more real and it's it's and that mm. much more interesting so you're leaving again doing the doing its job right off the bat and keeping the us like interested and wanting to see okay how does this gonna affect her and how is this gonna pan out my love is as usual with break there's always more than meets the eye you get in you see this gorgeous city you see this you know everything this hustle and bustle quite literally i mean these are all things she's never seen before like this is pretty incredible for her so like while you're sitting there in awe of what the avatar world has now become uh you know there's going to be some like it can all be (laughs) you know happiness and unicorns there's a a homeless guy (laughs) in a bush i mean you know there's going to be problems and that's that's to me is like what i love is like you get to see this gorgeous world these cool things that they've done but you know like the plot it's just it's common and you just got you you just want to know what it is (laughs) what's it yeah yeah, it's it's uh, what what I found amazing is that they were able to actually make you feel the way Korra did. Mm. At that point, you both, both the viewer and Korra, get to explore something completely new, something wonderful, and I think that was really a a good way to catch the viewer. Yeah, just. Just uh, I think it was a, a a wonderful job done at catching the viewer and dragging the viewer into the story as you both explore the city and how intricate it was. And yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all that. Uh, I was just psyched to see the metal bending police force. That was probably the best. <laughs> oh, that's so true. I completely, yeah. That, I mean, that and like you're seeing the city and everything and she's kind of getting up to hijinks and then you're like, oh, she just destroyed a building. Oh, she just pulled up the road. And then <laughs> and it's like all fun and games. They're like, oh, she's really doing a lot of damage. And then... <laughs> And then it's so great, like the police, uh, and then the metal vendors come down, and then it's like, no, you're under arrest too. Like you have engaged in a full-fledged fight um, and destroyed a lot of property. Uh, and that was that was a cool thing too. It's like just because you're the Avatar, you know, uh, you can't get away with everything. And Lynn certainly was not going to let her get away. Uh, just because she was the avatar, and that was one of my favorite scenes. Mm, uh, definitely, I mean that just—it's—it's it's such a great way of transitioning. You know, uh, you have her exploring and everything, and I, I think before we dive into that scene with Lynn too, I think the other really interesting point that we get out of this whole tapestry of Republic City, we see the beautiful parts of, you know, the skyline of the technological advancements, the automobiles, the trains that we see the other side with the vagabond in the bush. And then we see this rally, but it's, Mm. I mean, it's like a very, very short little gathering of this guy talking about non-benders being oppressed in Republic City. And suddenly, we get the very, like, just these beginning inklings 
of where like kind of the antagonist will rise and yeah yeah, the conflict but also it's it's echoing something that was also a a really deep-rooted issue for a character like Sokka I mean when we saw I mean it, it took all the way until book three for Sokka to openly admit to the rest of the gang like you guys are so good at what you do I'm just a guy with a boomerang and even and though sarcasm. He, yeah and sarcasm <laughs> and like he even though he was you know part of this team and everything he still felt like his worth was kind of being questioned and mm-hmm. you know now you have a city where you're already you have like socioeconomic differences you know you see obviously people who are better off and those who aren't and then you have a whole another dynamic where there is a very clear power struggle where there are people who can just oppress people very easily and they really can't do anything against it. Um, so we'll keep that yeah. in mind because we'll, I, I definitely want to touch on more of that later, but I, I, I want to dive into this scene with Lynn and the fact that we get this, uh, this first bit of like heritage and, we see the generation besides Tenzin, of course, of, you know, now we see the daughter of Toph Bay Fong <laughs> as the chief of police. <laughs> see, see, don't take your bull. <laughs> see, see, don't take your bull. <laughs> and, and that sentence alone was yet another very cool example of how Cora was aimed at a more mature audience. Got the bull, Tenzin. It's like, wow, okay, don't mess around with her. She don't take your shit. She's definitely Toph's daughter, for sure. <laughs> definitely Toph's daughter. And, and, and also one comment that I, I tried making earlier. Um, when the police arrive in a Zeppelin, did anybody else get like a Will Die Lee vibe from them? Or is that just mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's actually really interesting, yeah. It's like, wow! It's yeah, it's it's the old Dai Li vibe, you know, the Dai Li coming down from the wall in, uh, uh, I think it was Omashu. Mm-hmm. No, uh, or Bossing no, Passing Se, yeah, yeah. They they come down the wall, Passing Se, just, and then suddenly you get the 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 police, the Republic City Police, just coming down on these chains, just Spider Maning around the city. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really a daily feel to that. I, I just wanted to about that. <laughs> I can totally Cat see that. Spider Manning. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's Toph was the one who developed this whole system too, and they, and that's the crazy part to like also think about this is that like the form of like the whole police department and the way that justice was handled, I think, so much in the city was formulated from Toph Beifong and how much we know her intimately as a character and then to imagine where a lot of those core values and how she sees right and wrong and being able to catch perpetrators but I, I don't know like what revisiting especially I want to hear from you guys where it's like you're going back and re-watching this episode what was it like to see Lynn at these early stages um, and obviously without giving anything away to Kip but just seeing her <laughs> seeing her in the beginning here and uh, 
connecting the dots from the old series, but also knowing where she's going to be heading in this one. It's tough to do that without any spoilers. <laughs> but, I know. Yeah. No, she... I'll, I, I'll take my headset off for a second, and then you guys just let me know in chat when I can put it back on. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's okay. okay. It's, it's okay. It's, yeah. it's okay. I I'll, I'll say this. I think it's great to see... Um, like, everyone loves Toph's character. So the fact that you essentially get to get that character again, like a character that just won't take crap and is going to go out and do really cool stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm sold. Especially when you know that it's, it involves metal building. Yo, yeah. Also, Korra's <laughs> argument that, you know, Lynn should go easy on her because she's the Avatar is totally, when you think of Toph and Aang's relationship, like, Toph did not go easy on Aang, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 great though because everybody liked Toph everybody loved Toph and, and yeah he had a bit of a build up to Toph being Toph especially when it came to to Aang and the whole earthbending training I, I think there was some sort of build up and then you get Lin and like instantly it's like wow she's mean yeah. <laughs> like yeah. wow she's not likable at all at this point in time hmm. yeah because you look at her, she's got a very, I mean, you could see Toph in her for sure, even just mm -hmm. like, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with visuals here because I just, I'm so, I'm drawn to that initially, but like, she looks like her. And also, um, I love it how we, we came in, Korra's coming in um, when a lot of the original characters are either uh, have passed or a lot much older and they've had children and the children aren't, their children aren't even young anymore. Like, like Lynn is graying, her hair's graying. She's got a scar. Looks like she's got some scars on her cheek. So you can tell like she's been messed with and she doesn't like want to be messed with. But if you do, she'll take you down mm. and she's like made that clear right away. And it That's makes a very good point. Yeah. It makes her already, yeah, it makes her already, like, interesting, but also sort of like, okay, like, what's, what, she's, maybe she's been hurt, what's going on, why are you so, what, what's, what's, there's something, you can already tell she's not, like, a shallow character, because not, because Toph, we know Toph wasn't, so they're like, okay, well, they wouldn't make, they wouldn't waste time on Toph's daughter, being a, just a, oh, hey, look, here's a random cameo, because we're doing fan service, no, there's, like, something deeper, she's the head of the police, mm -hmm. and they're gonna right. play like, a role in the city, obviously, so, you know, it's a it's a great strong kind of like intro to her personality for sure. Um, and again, end of that scene was so perfect. Where they're they're doing like, "Got my eyes on you," and like, Cora yes! does it. <laughs> yes. yes. What a try. Well, yeah, it's it's absolutely such a callback to that. There's there's an amazing gif that someone made where it's like it's that back and forth of like Lynn does like the the fingers and like the eye like over to Cora, and it goes to Cora, and she's like doing it back to her, and then someone photoshops like <laughs> Sokka in doing the water try, like stepping out of the room as water well. <laughs> That's that's what I was trying to say earlier uh, with how they they started off about Suko's mom as well. It's they're not doing it's it's not like they're doing fan service per se. It's they're taking this healthy dose of memories from the last Airbender, all these things that we as fans know, you know, just to make it feel familiar even more. It's so it, balanced. It, it's, yeah. it just adds to it. It's. It's it's not direct fan service. It's just no. Just these these little tidbits of hey, we know that. Hey, we know that. Hey, this is a question that we've been waiting for for ages. It's like <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. 
Yeah, and it's it's the idea of not resting on the past and using that as a crutch. Because you look at, I mean, with contemporary uh, films and TV shows that are either reboots or they follow after, you know, years of the events of, like, the past series or past film and everything, the ones that don't work are the ones where it's like, this is the same story being told with these yeah. nostalgic moments and everything. and. That's the great part about this beginning with Korra is that you get this whole new fresh story, but it's peppered with those just wonderful nostalgic moments where it's like you see the statue of Toph, you see the statue of Aang out in the bay, and you see the sky bison, and you see Air Temple Island, and it's just, there's so much beauty of like this continuing thread, but you can tell time has passed, and we are in this new era now. They, they basically managed to do what Star Wars Episode Seven was trying to do, but failed. Um, I was going to say something, and it's interesting you said that. That's amazing, because I actually just had this conversation, and I won't go too far into it, but that's really amazing, because I said, I was just saying to Chris before, I was like, I really wish or wished or whatever that, that in, in a way, like, um, Lucasfilms could, could even just, like, learn going forward because what but basically what they did they're just they're they're it's almost either choosing certain things or stereotypes or whatever and just putting there just for the sake of putting them in there mike and brian didn't do that they they just really made this this is its own story this is a, a strong new character it's not just it's not ang but we're not going to make it her so completely different from ang in every way just for the sake of that they let her kind of like just kind of be her own thing and it's mm. just sort of like they really paid attention to the past, but they didn't just, like you said, make it a crutch where it's like, hey, remember this? You know, it's like, no, it's like, no, oh, this is what we established. We literally have to build off of that. It's, it's, yeah. that's so genius. Like, it's genius. I, I, that, that's actually but, one of the, the comments I made to my wife is how opposite Korra is to Aang. And, you know, you've got the mm. banning, obviously, water is opposite to, to air, but it's also, the, the, the personalities are very much opposite, but like you said, it's it's not that it's opposite for the sake of it. It it feels really natural, mm -hmm. mm. and they, they did a really good job at, at making that work. Mm. It's yeah. it, you know, and I, I think to kind of like put a a final pin in that, I you know, echoing back to what you said earlier, Abigail, with Katara serving as this bridge for this new series of her of that beautiful moment of you know Qatar or sorry of Korra like packing uh, you know putting the saddle on Naga and like trying to escape and Katara just saying it's a beautiful night for an escape <laughs> and having that really just short moment of being like you know it is your time and it is this new era and it's not just for us and I, I know like that that moment I, I like I teared up even though I've seen that episode so and many we times we were like putting away groceries too as we, were, we weren't even like fully focused but we both just stopped and like stared at the screen and like teared up we're like oh my god nice <laughs> yeah because I mean it's 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 really special but like I mean and you talk about the layers of it it's how deep of a moment that is because Katara looks at Korra and she sees Aang. Well, Aang is there. Yeah. Quite literally with the Avatar link. Yeah. And, and like how, you know, seeing that spirit kind of continue with that and like and everything, but oh my gosh. Feels, I, 
just could gush on that all day. Um, so I, <laughs> so I want to I, I want to get into next as we're kind of transitioning into the second episode. Uh, the end of the first episode, we get to see Cora, you know, be accepted to Air Temple Island and. She does this press conference because before we get into the second episode, I really want to touch on this because I think it's such a great, important scene. Here's Cora broadcasting out to the city. Hey, I am here. I don't really have a plan, and but I'm going to try and do what I can. And you see this like clearly she's young, she's nervous, but you still see that beautiful moment come out where she understands you know, Aang and Zuko meant for this to be a place of peace and balance. That's what it is at its core. And that's what I'm going to try to do. And we have this like beautiful heartwarming moment. And then it transitions to a radio in a different scene, hearing her from afar. And we have this mysterious man talking about a timetable being moved up. Dun, dun. <laughs> oh, I was and, uh, waiting for it. It did need a little like sting there, like <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so, so, yeah. What was your first impression with that? Uh, with that kip of like seeing kind of this mystery villain? Curiosity. I, I'm I'm very very curious. So, the the wall scene. I, I think it was done wonderful because again it adds just another layer to car and it just adds a war thing to it because you have this very strong lead character go out look at me i'm car i'm the avatar and then she, she runs off to republic city she 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 does her own thing and then suddenly it's it's kind of like she realizes oh i'm actually very deep into this now it's like you have this, this air of she doesn't know. She, she, she's, she, she looks kind of scared of what's going to happen in that scene. It's like, oh, this is this is happening. This is real. This is actually my destiny. And I, that was really nice how that added just yet another layer of personality to her. And it really showed, you know, she, she's still young. She doesn't have all the answers. I think that that, that was pretty nice, I think. But that I want to get into uh, to the second episode here um, and talking about now here we get to see how the tradition of the air nomads has continued, how Aang's legacy of continuing airbending and you have this beautiful island with sky bison flying around and all of the classical architecture that is so that just echoes the air temples and you get to see Tenzin and the kids in this beginning of airbending training, which was something we never really got to see. We saw brief flashes in in the previous series of Aang's flashbacks with Monkeyatso but never before kind of from the ground up. Okay, this is where you have to start. And it's, for Korra, a very difficult job. So what was like it like for you guys revisiting that and for Kip, for you seeing that for the first time? It, it was amazing. So but obviously you guys know that 
airbending is, is my thing, you know. I, I've always been an Aang airbending fanboy. Um, 12 years, uh, 10, 11, 12 years later, I still very much want to go take Bagua Zhang lessons because I, I think it's just so extremely pretty. And seeing that, that first airbending lesson, they, they, they yet again managed to capture the wall uh, a martial arts aspect of it so well. Um, obviously, I've had a lot of time to do my somewhat study of Bagua Zhang. I've, I've read many books about it. And we know that they, they, they value the martial arts. We, we, we know they, they hired martial art instructors to have all the animators take classes. And I, I saw that scene. And the first thing I noticed is the the movements they made uh, the little girl do Tenzin's daughter are not just airbending movements. It's not just Pagwa Zhang, but it's also the very first style that you ever learn in Pagwa Zhang. It's the first motions that you learn in Pagwa Zhang. Oh, cool! And I, I I sat there. I was like, I and I instantly recognized it because I you you usually walk that in a circle. And I, like I said, I've read many books. I've tried doing that circle it's just extremely hard to actually learn it without having a proper master but unfortunately there is only one in the Netherlands that teaches that hmm. um, but I, I instantly recognize it and it was amazing just to see how much effort they put into that it's not just airbending it's actually the very beginning of it hmm. that's that very so cool. Yeah, it was so, cool. so extremely yeah, cool that, to that's see. Wild, <laughs> I was going to say, it must have been so cool for you to see that, because you actually recognize the first movements of that march, like what, when you're first as a student learning that, and they're like, and, and we're first seeing it for the first time, and, and we're not even like knowing that. I'm like, wow. Like, that's so cool that they did that. That's but so see, that, that's, uh, that's, that's the thing that makes Avatar so great, is the amount of, the amount of, uh, trouble they do for the, the amount of effort they put into it. Mm, they yeah. they don't just draw it. They yeah. don't just look at a video of somebody doing some kung fu, and they animate that. But they had all of that. They have they had all of their animators take classes from a martial arts instructor, so that the the animators knew what they would be animating, and they knew the why and how behind what they were animating, and it's. Just those things that make it so wonderful. And like I said, I'm not an expert on Pagua Song at all. I mean, th there's only one teacher over here. There's only one master over here in the Netherlands. Um, Twelve years later, I still very much want to take lessons from him at one point in time. So like I said, the, the only knowledge I have is from reading books and watching YouTube videos. But seeing that, that that's amazing. Hmm. The cool thing about the martial arts in the show is that even not having a martial arts knowledge or background, it still adds an authenticity to their movements. Like even, I don't know, I barely know anything about martial arts, but even just watching them bend and the fact that they've used these actual movements, it seems so much more authentic and natural. And it does add this layer of beauty and truth to the bending. Mm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's, and it's, you know, you look at across all martial arts forms and there's the idea of the universal truth that if there's something that works in one system, you're guaranteed to find it in another. And that there is this idea of like, when you see something that is a natural extension or a natural motion of the body that would come from there, it's like there's something that like taps into you. Even if you don't know what it is, it's like I recognize that as something that can actually be. And I, I it was so cool to hear you react to that, Kip, because I mean, it, that, that whole scene of Korra, or you know, especially with like Tenzin dropping the leaf and then it f- floating through all of the panels and then seeing Janora go through it effortlessly effortlessly i think you actually said like kip's gonna be so excited to see this <laughs> 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 colin knows me so well he knows me so well <laughs> oh my gosh it, it, uh, but you know w- with that in mind and i think that this this is like a great segue because you know with the traditional aspects of airbending and we get to see the beginning of this Suddenly, we also see where bending is headed, and the evolution of bending. Pro bending, <laughs> yeah, and like, and, and how they introduce pro bending, and suddenly we're immersed in this world where it's like we're we're shown a sport for really kind of the first time. Like we we, the, I think the only semblance of like a sport really in. The last Airbender was like the air scooter game that like Ang came up well, with, tough right? And the boulder. the boulder. Oh yeah, duh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, how are we all forgetting about the great game that they played in the Great Divide to pick who? <laughs> you, you got, okay, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to refresh us on that. I'd rather not. <laughs> is it so? Is it so bad of an episode that we're just not allowed to talk about it anymore? <laughs> it's, it's down there. Uh, but no, you're right. Yeah, it's cool to see this organ. Yeah, it's so. Cause it's the only big organized thing that we get to see, mm. and like the rules explain. Like they show, and like I mean, it's not a sport, but pie show. While it exists, and they kind of show it, they don't go in depth. Like pro bending, they're like, nope. Here's here's the rules. Here, mm. Here's everything. Yeah. As Cora proceeds to break them all. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. He doesn't know those yeah, rules. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet again, that's just one of those things that makes it so great. So it's, 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 it's kind of like me with my Bagwell song. You know, it's, it's like you read the books, you listen to it, you see the videos, you think you know it, and then you get to do it. And then you realize you're so extremely wrong about everything. <laughs> you don't know it. And it's just one of those things again that adds to it. It's just like, yeah, let's do it pro bending. I know this stuff. And I was like, no foul, foul, no foul again. <laughs> We're now going to have to discuss if you get to continue playing this game because you're like yeah. mocking us now. She also it's gets like, thrown into a really high level of pro bending. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also very much like the comments that Cora uh, at one point makes about pro bending. And where she says, I need to learn modern martial arts. Mm. Uh, the reason why I very much like that comment is because in uh, Bagua's song, and, and I'm pretty sure it applies to many other martial arts, um, 
well, one of the creators of Bagua's Bagua's song once said, um, "My Bagua is not your Bagua." Uh, what he means is, you learn the technique, you learn the basics of it, but after that, it's up to you to continue. It's up to you to make your own style. And the reason why is because if everybody does the same thing, everybody learns the same techniques, um, there's no motion in it. Uh, you become predictable. There's no fluentness in it. Mm. And I think with, with with pro bending, they also very much managed to capture that essence. It's evolving. You're many years later, you're I think one or two generations of benders and, and martial art masters later everything evolves and i think they very much managed to capture that with the pole bending i think it's interesting too because uh, you know i've been listening i've been editing through the episode that we did about king boomy and one of the points that we brought up during that episode was that you have in earth rumble six with toff you see this new condensed and more efficient version of earthbending Versus, yes, Boomy does incredible earthbending, and it's powerful, and it's rooted in this amazing tradition, but the reason that Aang has to learn from Toph and not Boomy is because Toph is mastering kind of where bending is headed, not where it was. And mm-hmm. I think it's exactly the same for Korra in this, because you, know, you have this uh, amazing scene where it's like you know she's like standing in the room uh standing in like the the gym with bolin and like it's like okay that that was that was great it's like you have a great stance but it's like no you can't just like do this wide horse stance and be like oh it's like no like you have to like be able to move on your feet like no one's just fighting in this kind of traditional sense anymore um and i i think especially we see that there's this juxtaposition that comes between Tenzin and Korra, and Tenzin, you know, rooted in this tradition, and especially the importance of him wanting to preserve that because of what's been laid on his shoulders with Aang's legacy, and with Korra being this modern force of being like, no, this is where it's headed, and we get this great kind of tension between them, and then it's all resolved at the end of the episode in this beautiful moment where the tradition clicks but as you said, Kip, you know, she's bringing her own airbending, her own bagua to this. Right. Right. But uh, uh, the the one thing I, I do want to I do want to hear from you guys. The, the, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> the, the one thing I do want to hear from you guys, too, especially is that, again, getting in the same vein we were talking about with Lynn here, we're introduced to kind of the new gang, quote unquote. And we get to meet Mako and Bolin for the first time. Uh, so I just want to hear your guys' thoughts of not only revisiting that, but then also Kip for you seeing that for the first time. He's such a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mako? <laughs> Mako is such a jerk. It's, it's like, at one point, Cora makes that, she makes that comment. He's a jerk. And I'm just like, Wow. I love that Cora just gives it to him, though. Yeah, like she's not gonna hold back. She's like, "Wow, you're a jerk." <laughs> yeah, she's very blunt. 
that, which I, I appreciate about her. Like, she's just sort of like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it, I think with the brothers, I think they were a great, uh, a great character ad because you're getting some of the nice, you're getting your comic relief as in you saw with Sokka in Bolin a bit, um, which is so important. Um, but also these two are connected, they're brothers, and, but they, have, they also have two different types of bending, which is, again, so cool to see. Um, and they're all automatically just, and they're so different. So it's just sort of like, I mean, they're all, they, and they're, they're already interesting. Like as soon as you meet them, I mean, just, there's just Bolin bailing Cora out. Cause he's trying to kind of hit on her and like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you, you implied it. <laughs> you implied it. <laughs> like friends, like so great. You know, I didn't even know it was possible to have two photos with a completely different bending style. I didn't know that was possible. I personally thought that that was fascinating, too. Two people from different nations, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, again, it makes sense because you have Republic City. Everybody comes to Republic City. So you've got firebenders, waterbenders, earthbenders, and hairbenders, I suppose, all (laughs) living next to each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it makes sense that a waterbender... Uh, an earthbender find each other they like each other so you know, in, in, that, in that sense that makes sense but the fact that you actually manage to get two brothers both yeah. with different bending that's actually really cool well something yeah. well they kind of they, i can't remember which episode of airbender it was where there was two twins yes i was um, just thinking of that yeah like, where one could teller. bend and one couldn't fortune thank yeah. you mm-hmm. two twins and, as in Four or just? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to do that. Um, but what I thought was, uh, well, it's fine because it ends up kind of pointing towards where the rest of the show goes, which is all right. It's like these people are give, you know, uh, are born with these bending gifts, and here's the first time they've shown us uh, people that you know are brothers but are two different nations of bending, and. You know, it's like, and they have the ability to bend, which is, you know, I mean, we'll get to that soon. But mm-hmm. um, I do like how they how they did this. Bright clearly got to have some fun with uh, with the pro bending stuff, and they're like, oh, you know, it'd be fascinating. Two brothers, you know, it's like we can have a because then they they also what's nice is then they have a natural history. They're brothers, mm-hmm. so you know, they bicker, they fight, they they help each other. They have all that already established. They didn't have to go and be like, well, we're gonna just put these two disparate people together and see what comes out of it. Mm. And, you know, again, I think it echoes back to this idea of Republic City being this kind of experiment, too, between you had the previous Fire Nation colonies and it used to be part of the Earth Kingdom. And it's kind of this conflicting identity. And you have a physical manifestation of that in Bolin and Mako because you have an Earthbender, you have a Firebender. It is kind of the product of these two different nations but it's kind of showing the future of it and you do get to see something like that a little bit in that uh dark horse comic the promise and it kind of like really kind of echoes in and if again if anyone has not read those if you get the chance they're amazing they're beautiful and the books are insane so uh, what, what did you guys uh think just in general of uh pro bending how it was kind of introduced and what seems to be its role in not only just these episodes, but where it seems to be going. Uh, having not seen 
any other episodes, it's it's kind of difficult for me to to see where it's going. Um, it, it it seems like a very nice nice way to just add to the world, you know, to make the world more believable. Um, obviously, with how fast they went into it and how much they went into it, I mean, pro-bending is where Koa finally clicked with airbending. Obviously, it's got to be important, but. They just went zero to sixty. Boom! <laughs> here's pro bending. Boom! Here's the rules. Now you're an expert on pro bending. And it wasn't too fast. It wasn't too slow. It was just boom. There it is. Well, not trying to well, spoil anything, but you know, it is a, a bending focused sport that everyone loves, and we have an equalist movement in the city kind of brewing up. So there is kind of that they set that up. Almost immediately mm. after um, in that that second episode. Absolutely, that's a really good. Actually, that's a really mm. good point. That was kind of what I was going to touch on. Is that for two things with pro bending? Is that it? Just first of all, making it a sport seems like such a natural thing that would happen if a city pop. Like if you have a growing city and a growing metropolis, and then people want you know uh, uh, entertainment, and you know it just seems like such a, a thing that would happen. Um, it all, on top of also having people use their bending for not so good things like a gang or something like that. So there's this sort of status that's established in a, in a sense, whether you're a celebrity or you're a, a gang member. And, and I think that's why you start to have these non-benders feel oppressed and feel validated in feeling oppressed. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I think the pro bending is that whole other, like, look at it. It's more, it's, it, that's, that's a positive thing. Everyone enjoys going to like a, a sporting event or something, but it's it's sort of establishing like what where where is bending being used now, and why mm-hmm. some others feel like it's a good thing and a bad thing. Hmm. Totally. And, and I think the other thing to keep in mind with this too is that you know now there's radio, and suddenly this world has gotten smaller because now they're mm. more connected. And I love that you have this moment of like the white Lotus guards, <laughs> like they're like huddled around <laughs> this like radio on Air Temple <laughs> Island. Like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? And like, yeah, like this is an amazing technological advancement, even though they have this like very important responsibility of watching after the avatar they're They are still like, this is so cool. Like we can just be sitting here and it's like we're there mm-hmm. and how they kind of like use that to connect all of that. It's it's like all the stories our grandparents used to tell us about when there was only one black and white TV in the neighborhood and all of the kids in the neighborhood would just come out in the evening, just stand in front of the window just so they could see the images on the TV up here. It's, it's <laughs> just like those yeah. stories that my grandparents told me. No, you're right. It is kind of interesting because, like, uh, and to me, Core seems like a very good parallel for the real world. Um, you know, it's like, like even now. I mean, look, like smartphones. I mean, we've had this for how many years? It's like we're all still dealing with the fallout of all this new technology and new ideas. And now that ideas can travel so fast, the how everyone can connect. It's, and now we get to see how you know the Avatar universe gets to deal with those kind of problems. Mm. It's it's going to be so interesting if there's ever going to be a third series, and it's like, what are they going to do next? <laughs> 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 I, 
I, I, I still feel that this is, this has always been my feeling of it is that if Mike and Brian ever do return to Avatar, I really think that they're going to set it in a futuristic setting because the original sketch of Aang that they, uh, that I think it was Brian like drew on a diner napkin was a, it was, it was Aang. It was him holding like this futuristic staff a robot version of Momo, and then a polar bear dog. Whoa, so that, no way. Yeah, so that's... So, uh, you totally, I don't think I knew that. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, I so, just Googled it. It's pretty dope. In the, oh, shut up. Oh it's going to be Star Trek meets Avatar, and it's going to be... <laughs> oh. <laughs> it, and you know, it's, it's super interesting, too, because now, like, they got to include that initial part of the vision, you know, for the first series with Aang and Momo... And then now, this image that has been with them since the beginning of the show, this polar bear dog, is now manifested into Naga as Korra's, like, kind of animal companion. And we see that with Roku and uh, Fang, his dragon, and Aang with uh, Appa. And, like, we see these connecting points and how it kind of repeats over time. And, oh my gosh, it just... To, to see that all connected. But again, I could probably just gush about that for <laughs> even too long. <laughs> I just hoped if they do a future, you know, a futuristic one, and like the Avatar has like a robot animal companion, it's not anything like Bender. Although that would be pretty funny. It's <laughs> 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 like not now. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at the sketch now. It's like, wow, this is, this is great. So I, I, I want to wrap things up with this episode. And the last thing that I want to talk about, because we've mentioned in passing Tenzin, but I really want to give us the opportunity to like really talk about him because I think that he is hands down in this series, one of the most fascinating characters. And we really dig in deep to his backstory and a lot of the pressures that have been put on him as the series progresses. But here we really do see the like in the same sense that we saw Lin Bei Fong, we see the heritage of the old show, and we see Ang and Katara's son, who is the only Airbender, and what that means, and who he is as a person, and how we see these bits of Ang, and how we see these bits of Katara. Like, don't bring my mother into this. <laughs> <laughs> But we we get to see that from from him and everything. There's this shot that I loved that I noticed again is when uh, Tenzin is passing under the statue of Aang Mm. on his way back to Air Temple Island, and he kind of just glances up at it like, and it's like this moment of just like he feels that that pressure and that responsibility to carry on his father's legacy and help the new avatar and carry on the tradition of the air nomads. There's just so much responsibility that he has taken on and it really captures it in that moment of him passing under the statue. Mm. You can, you can really, you can really feel his struggle with living in Aang's shadow. His his dad and, and Zuko created this big, big city everybody was happy and then it's starting to to come down and you you can really 
you can really feel with him that he's struggling, trying to uphold his father, uh, trying to uphold what his father created while living in Ang's shadow. And you 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 kind of get the idea that he feels like he's he's he's, he's failing underneath that. That's that's kind of the idea I'm getting. So far, yeah, like I said, I I get the idea that he feels like he's failing with that so far and that he's just really struggling with that, really struggling to to keep it great, make it great again, make it back to what it was. I think you can really see even in Tenzin's character design. I noticed this, again, like when just looking at it, and he looks serious, he looks stressed, he looks like he's been put under a lot of pressure. The lines on his face, he's very drawn, um, but very stoic looking too. And mm-hmm. I, I think that, is, I think his character design, I think they put a lot of thought into that just from that element as well. Like he has this strong look about him, but looks like he's been through and under a lot of pressure um, and is and has every right to, given everything that we've mentioned and also just, just like to feel the way that he does. I mean, that's a that's a lot to live up to. That's big, big shoes to fill, and then some. You know, with a now with a growing city and and things changing, and um, trying to just remain and also keep tradition uh, alive at the same time. And now has a family as well, very energetic, young, and a whole family of Airbenders too. I mean, at that, I mean, it's it's a lot, a lot for him to uh, take on. It's a lot on his shoulders for sure, and you can just see that mm. like on his face. Yeah, um, well, it's yeah. You're right. He is such a complex character. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, a his in order for um, Cora to exist, his dad had to pass away. Mm-hmm. Granted, at this point, about you know 16 years prior, um, but now he has you know deal with the emotion of kind of almost in a way meeting his dad, or at least you know some spirit of it, and now has the responsibility of training her. I mean, he already has three kids. He already has a wife. He has the whole air nation to mm-hmm. basically bring back from the ashes. And now he has her. I mean, can you imagine having to juggle all that? And she's like, and she's fighting him tooth and nail in the beginning <laughs> yeah. of this. All he wants to do is help her, but she just, yeah, just is resisting. And yeah, I can't, like the, the complexity of his character, the more you look into it, it's kind of crazy. Kip, I'm excited for you to get to further episodes with Tenzin because there's there's I just know, that's a lot of. Is. I'm trying to like limit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we... yeah, exactly. There's a lot that that develops, and and that's one of the strengths of this series is the arcs mm. that all the characters I, I, go through. I, I very much appreciate how much of an effort you guys are putting into <laughs> not giving spoilers. Like, I can I, I can just hear it in the way you guys talk. You guys are trying so hard not to give any spoilers. And that's that's really cool, guys. Um, we're definitely going to have to figure out what episodes we're going to watch next. Mm. So I have plenty of time to watch all of the episodes in between. Because with Avatar Last Eben right now, I'm just watching episodes that we're going to be discussing, but I'm definitely not going to be doing that for Korra, obviously. I'm going to watch every single episode there is mm-hmm. in the order I should be watching them. <laughs> Absolutely. I, and, you know, it's just... I, I think the amazing part about what we see with Tenzin, I'm so glad that you pointed out that moment of him passing underneath the statue of Aang and him looking up at that and the gravity that comes from that because 
he really is, like you all have been saying, just juggling so much and there's so much responsibility and it's all carried so well by J.K. Simmons. Mm. Like they could not, and I, I think this goes across the board for their casting, but especially with Tenzin, holy crap. I mean, he just has this amazing kind of just tenor in his voice that is just dripping with wisdom, but still there's kind of like some pain underneath there that like, you know, there's still a lot of gravitas, I think is the word you're looking for. Thank you. That is. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, but I I don't know. Just, I mean, JK Simmons does such a great job. And I remember there was actually, it was like, I think it was, yeah, it was at my mother-in-law's house at one point, and like the Today Show was on, and they like brought J.K. Simmons was on for that new like television show that he's on, and they're like, oh yes, J.K. Simmons. They started listing all of like his works, and they're like, oh, you've been in this, you've been in this, you've been in this, and then they stopped listing it, and I was like, you sons of, I was like, you're not even mentioning this, like come on. People will be like, what? Legend of what? But, I mean, the thing is, though, is that, you know, you have a series where you have such an incredible legacy from The Last Airbender. And, again, how do you continue it so it doesn't feel like it's this just campy rehashing of the old series? That you're le- you're not leaning too much on the old tropes and all of that. And I really think that what makes it work. And when they show this image, there's a great poster that they released um, at the beginning of Legend of Korra. And it was this beautiful uh, art that Mike and Brian did. And it's a parallel. And on one end, it says old friends. And it's Aang, Katara, Zuko, Sokka, and Toph when they're like kind of in their late 20s. And then you have new friends. And it's... Korra, Mako, Bolin, a character you haven't met, Kip, and Tenzin. And there's a reason why Tenzin is there included in that group. Because he really is so much of what's like this bridge between that old world and this new one. And how he still has to live with all of the consequences and responsibilities with it. So I want to kind of just wrap things up with final thoughts about revisiting these first two episodes and kind of looking back on the beginning of Korra here. So when when we first started doing the podcast again a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I really, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and admit, I had a bit of a, a bit of a difficult time reminiscing about it. You know, it was, it's, it's been 10 years. It's, it's, it's been extremely long. There's been, so much that has happened in real life and I, I, I had to I, I actually questioned myself once or twice you know is this still relevant because you know if 10 years later you know you, you go up um, I've now watched Korra episode 1 and 2 and I think it's a resounding yes this is still very much my show this is still very much part of me that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm right on board. I'm right on board with that. <laughs> uh, it's funny that, that you mentioned it that way because it's like I, I, 
Like, it's like I didn't forget Avatar when, you know, and, and then bringing up this podcast again was just sort of like rejuvenating that. And it's just sort of like re- realizing, oh, yeah, like you this me so personally. And it's like so great to get back into it again. It's actually very healing. You know, we face a lot of on ourselves like you, we were just talking about how, especially with core, very relatable issues, um, very uh, just similar things. A lot of parallels in to, in terms of things that we go through as as, as individuals. And it's just always nice to have something to, to go to to kind of be like, okay, yeah, see this this you feel like you're part of it, like almost like you're you can understand the characters and just that just feels so good to do that. And these the first and they let you do that with these first two episodes of Korra. And we didn't know what to expect as big fans of just the first series. It was like, you know, there was a lot of again, if they were gonna do it, so a lot of expectations and they exceeded them. And then they just brought on this whole new, exciting, even more relatable adventure, bringing in a, a more mature audience to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just, it was seamless. I, I'm, I'm still amazed at how well they did that. Um, they have created something that I think is really legendary in terms of just writing um, things that we're going to be showing our kids. Um, you know, I, again, I, I always go back to Tolkien, but it's sort of like, I think it actually has that sort of standing power where you have this just this real, very real world, real characters. And there's, but there's just this magic to it. And it's just like, uh, I mean, Susan's not here, but she's already sharing it with her daughter and she's like, so into it. And that's the coolest thing. Mm, So I just want more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't want to give it away to you, but coming back and and going through these episodes, it just reminded me how much I love the first season of Korra. Mm. It is. (laughs) And it's, I have to say, and it's, not only because like everything is gorgeous in the show, the plot's really good. The the plot is incredible. I have to say they there's so much that they could have explored, but because it was a one essentially a one off season, um, when they first were making the show, they were a little constrained in how much they could explore. But the issues they bring up, like I, there was a few times I just sat back and I'm like, wow, that's a <laughs> this. Yeah, just wait. <laughs> there, there's just there's I tell, I kid you not when I say that there was a few episodes I just like when I was done I just had to sit there and just kind of think about it because the issue what comes up is incredible. It's actually interesting that you mentioned it because I, I I didn't know that they were only slated to make one season mm-hmm. and I, I actually now that I know that it actually makes the first two episodes so much better. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense of the like when the when the season comes to an end. It makes a lot of sense when you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it makes more sense of like why they bring up things when they do, and you know how they kind of had to jam everything into to a season like this. Yeah. Well, see, what, what I want to say is, you know, like you said, only having one season obviously gives you a lot of constraints about how much you can do. And the fact that in one season they they managed to make such an intricate world makes it all that much better, I think. There's so much that you've seen, and there's so many shows that need way more than one season just to get to this amount of intricacy into that world. And they've just managed to do it starting off in one season, and they put it out there in the first two episodes. So for me... um... Because uh, I came to Avatar later and watched Korra as it was coming out, 
Cora to me feels more like my show. I don't know, somehow, like I, I feel a little more connected to it because I was following along with it. And it's really when I got into the fandom in general. So going back to the first episode was just, I realized I hadn't, I hadn't done it since I first watched it. So it was a really exciting moment to go revisit that and yeah, it was it was wonderful and it was everything I remembered it to be and and more and it was exciting especially knowing where the characters go, where the plot goes to see them at the beginning was really special. Mm. I think uh, this was really only the second time besides um I had a friend that uh, had not seen any of Korra that I watched the series through with uh, like a couple years back. But I think this that was the last time that I had seen the first two episodes. And I think now that we've really kind of gotten back into the swing of, with the podcast and just having just Avatar and Korra as general kind of a frame of mind for discussion, it's just been so cool to really revisit that. And these first two episodes, again, it's just the, the feels the chills of like these moments and like seeing these characters and not only just like for the fact that, Oh my God, this is amazing that we're seeing this for the first time, but it's that great feeling of going back to a show at the very beginning, knowing where it heads and just knowing the growth that happens and everything that kind of passes. And I am just so excited um, that we're going to be able to watch this along with you, Kip, because I mean, there's no greater feeling I think than sharing a piece of art with someone for the first time for them mm -hmm. and just like kind of getting to see it fresh from their eyes. And we really have a really special place to, to get to share that now. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I just thank you guys all again for, uh, you know, taking time to do this. Um, you know, again, co-host today, uh, we had Casey, Kevin, Kip, and Abigail. Um, thank you all so much for, for doing this, for all the wonderful discussion. And I am really excited to see where all of our discussion goes with the future of these episodes of Korra. Because, yeah, there's not as many episodes as there are in, in Avatar, but boy, oh boy, we get some uh it's, it's gonna be a wild ride yeah <laughs> well actually sorry correct correction there are more episodes of court yeah, because this the seasons are shorter and it just feels even more jam-packed so uh but yeah i think uh until next time let us leave bleeding hot monkeys. <laughs>